Second Kings chapter 13 will be where we will take our text passage from for our lesson this morning. Second Kings chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 20 and 21. Picks up near the end of a dear man of faith's life. And at the end of a, well, the last account that he's recorded of being involved in. Let's read Second Kings chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says there, Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab, there's some history there. The Moabites were taking occasion to raid into uh, this area and this location. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man, these being separate people, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson this morning. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for the testimonies of faithfulness that we see throughout the word. Father, I'm grateful for the testimonies of faithfulness that are even in my presence this morning, Lord, as we gather here together. I thank you, Father, that each one of your children, by the grace of Jesus and by the leading of the Spirit, we can each bear our own testimony of faithfulness, Lord, that can last even beyond our days on this earth. Father, I thank you for this privilege, and I ask that you, <clears throat> that you would help us to understand this privilege. And lay hold of it, Father, even this morning, considering your word. Father, bless us by it, teach us by it, and give us joy in it, I pray. And be honored and magnified, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me for the catches in my throat this morning. Hopefully those pass here shortly. I'm going to get straight to the point this morning and just put the theme of this lesson for you this morning. I don't always do this, but I just want to make this plain from the outset. Uh, just as we consider this very remarkable situation that we just read here about the bones of Elisha. And I just want to say this to you, that if we live to glorify God, if we live a life that glorifies God, then even in death, and I'll even insert after death, and not just our presence in the Lord glorifying Him presently, our life that we lived in this short time that we have on this earth, we can glorify God. And I'll elaborate on this over the course of the next several minutes. Uh, he's not here this morning, but I thought about Brother Jim Burge a lot while I was preparing this lesson. thought about my grandma as well. If you're familiar with Jim Burge and his interests and his hobbies, his posts on social media from time to time, uh, it, he'll post different things of his family's history. Uh, he'll stand in front of a building and say, my grandfather, great-great-grandfather built this building back in 1908 or whatever the case might be. I've seen it a number of times, talked with Jim a little bit here and there about it. My grandma used to do the same thing, uh, not necessarily standing in front of buildings saying my, my great-great-grandmother built this, but she, she studied genealogy. She spent time when I would visit with grandma and, and stay a weekend or a week with her, perhaps. She'd take me up to the library up in Independence. I think it's still there off of 24 Highway. Uh, and we would sit there for a long time. <laughs> well, 
Man, I am telling you, as a preteen, it was anything. Uh, I wanted to do anything but sit there and rifle through microfish, which was the technology at the time, or dusty old books and censuses and all of that sort of thing. Grandma could do that all day long. And trace this, and, and she'd gasp, and she'd say, oh, goodness, great-great-grandfather Hiram, or whatever his name was. You know, they, I found him here and located him here in Marshfield or Marshall or, or some other place. And I'd be like, never said it, but I wanted to say, I don't care, Grandma. I don't care what happened. But she would tell you stories from time to time about, about uh, our ancestors and tell you who they were, what they did, and that sort of thing. And, and I'll be honest <laughs> I'll be honest with you, and not very many generations, particularly, I hate to call us gravits out, but on my dad's side, man, it takes about two generations, and I just as soon leave some of that history alone. Not interested in some of the history that are there in my direct lineage, my direct ancestry. That being said, Brother David talked at length, and will continue to speak at length, about the old creation, the new creation. And I say it quite often from this pulpit. In me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. We have that old man, we have that old creation, we have this flesh with us that makes each and every one of us validly able to say, I'm a sinner and, and there's nothing good in me dwells outside of the Lord Jesus. I don't make it a practice to coddle to you typically, in regards to who we are in the flesh, who we are in the old creation, uh, what that part of us is. I don't preach false feel-good, I don't believe. At least I don't do it intentionally. I don't preach saccharine, sweet positivity and, and those things that, well, fill lots of seats in a lot of other different places. But I don't believe those messages prepare a victorious believer. Uh, to be told... As our brother mentioned again, as we mentioned many, many times throughout history, we're not okay, we're not okay, we're not okay, you're not okay. By ourselves, we are not okay. And it doesn't help us to believe otherwise. That being said, I have a good message this morning. And that's simply that despite the flesh, despite the issues, despite the, the problems that we have, despite our ancestry and, and the scoundrels that we might have and that we would indeed be without the Lord Jesus, your life matters. And that's something that was just reiterated to me and, and placed on my heart so heavily, so weightily. Uh, over the course of the last week as I've been considering this lesson and getting it together. You matter, specifically, individually. Your life, naturally speaking, your natural life matters. Brother Nick mentioned this one, making this prayer request for this one who seems to want to perhaps end his own life. You know, a number of God's people have done just the same. A number of God's people consider such things when they find themselves in dire straits. And I think that it can be rather simple and easy for us to, well, to forget that we matter. And not only in the time that we walk this earth, but in the time after. Once we've left, once we've, well, stood, once we've seen Jesus, once we have arrived in his presence, there's still something left behind that the Lord can, well, very clearly and very powerfully use. Your life can make a difference, and not only for the time that you are here today. Uh, Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name 
A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And I believe that. A good name, that, that means a name that is established and appointed to a life that glorifies the Lord Jesus. That is a good name. And that is something to be chosen and to be left behind by every effort that we have in our own bodies and our beings. And as we see that in Elisha, uh, in this situation here, getting way ahead of myself, he left behind a legacy and he left behind a very plain illustration It takes place and demonstrates who he was and what the Lord is willing to do in a willing life, even after that life has been removed and into his presence. Uh, yeah, that being said, let's consider this. Let's consider how we can leave a testimony even after we have left this place. Now, if you are not familiar with Elisha, I encourage you to get familiar with this man. I am a big fan of both Elijah and Elisha. If you know me at all, you know this to be so. Um, Elisha has a testimony of faithfulness, and specifically faithfulness in the face of great opposition. Because opposition came, well, came before him in a number of different times, in a number of different locations throughout his history. Uh, I'm not going to turn to each and every one of these for time's sake, but you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 2 for just one example. One example of, of his faithfulness and his determination to please the Lord. Um, well, when Elijah, after Elijah was called up, and we're going to read just a piece of that account here in just a moment, but after Elijah, Elisha's master was called up and taken up in a whirlwind, he was mocked uh, by, Elisha was mocked uh, by some. Well, when they said, go up thou bald head, I'm not going to get into all of it, but I believe it's clear that they were talking about Elijah, his master, being taken up. And they were mocking that situation and mocking Elisha as well. And Elisha, well, he cursed those ones. And a couple of bears came out and mauled them up. Uh, he didn't go outside later on. We can read about when the, the commander of the Syrian armies, his name was Naaman, and he was a, a leper. And he came out and he, well, he'd heard that Elisha could help him. Elisha didn't even get up, didn't go outside to speak to Naaman. He, he didn't even, he wasn't influenced by that. He just spoke the word of God and that was that. He didn't sugarcoat his words with those people that he was given to minister to. He didn't sugarcoat his words to those who rebelled against the things of God. He just demonstrated faith and persistence in that faith. We see it here, uh, well, when he was still well, coming to the end of that time when he was pouring water on the hands of Elijah. It says there in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Make sure you clarify which ones you're talking about there. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. I believe that the Lord was testing Elisha here when he was, well, when Elijah was telling him to stay testing him and presenting him as the testimony that Elisha ultimately is to us. Elisha refused, refused to stay there. He says so. Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And if you keep on reading there, and we won't, the same thing happened almost word for word as they went on to Jericho. Elijah said, stay here, I'm going to go on. Elisha said, no way, Jose, I'm going with you. When Elijah said, going across the Jordan, uh, finally, ultimately, Elisha said, no, not going to do it. He was going to be taken from him. Elijah was going to be removed from him. You ever have anyone who is dear to you taken from your life? 
uh, even when it's the Lord's will and you understand that it's the Lord's will and you're confident and you're at peace that it's the Lord's will, it does not change the difficulty of the Lord's will. When those ones are removed from you, I celebrate. I rejoice with those ones who rejoice. Standing in the presence of Jesus. Man, I, I'm, I'm thrilled for those ones. Man, I weep for myself sometimes when they're gone because I miss them. I miss people who are dear to me, people who are impactful to me, influential to me, kind to me. I miss those ones, certainly, and I'll weep for those ones. Uh, It's a difficult thing. And here it was. Elijah was going to be taken from him, and it would be difficult. But Elisha would not compromise. He, he He was going to be there. He was going to witness it. He was going to receive the blessing that the Lord had for him. And that's another story for another time. Perhaps you've known ones like these who are refusing to compromise. We're refusing to compromise in those things that are uncompromisable. I can tell you stories about different ones. Different ones present here have made stands, not compromised because they could not compromise in good faith. Could not compromise as they, well, submitted to the Lord. They couldn't compromise a stance that they that they held, that the Lord had given them, had made plain. Could not compromise in what the Word had made plain to them. I appreciate these ones. And I value the testimonies that are present. Now, I've seen other ones. I've seen other ones who, well, they take a stand for the Lord. Even going so far, some of them, perhaps you've seen them, but you can look up any, as many videos as you want to occupy your time with, of different ones who are taking a stand for the Lord and they'll get themselves arrested and, you know, get put into jail and all of those things and they'll, they'll pretend as though these are noble stands that they're taking. Look at this, you'll see a byline under a video, preacher gets, gets incarcerated for his faith or something along those lines. I don't want to just throw people under the bus, but they're out there. And then you realize, man, what was it that he stood so arrogantly, arrogantly sometimes against these cops? I mean, something must have really been something substantial. And then you find it was this. This is what you're making your stand on. And, and well, in my mind, bringing reproach on the word of God, perhaps in bucking authority. I mean, that's the hill you want to die on. <laughs> really? Uh, and there's that sanctimonious nature that comes along with it. I've seen those ones as well. Those ones who will say that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. When it's a, well, it's fraudulent. It's not what the Lord would have them to do. Elisha was not such a one as this. Elisha was a man who took a stand when, well, when a stand was indicated. And he was faithful in it. Strong in it by the grace of God. Elisha feared the Lord. He served the Lord, and he loved the Lord. And I'm going to use the first, this term for the first time probably a number of times throughout this whole lesson. He feared him, uh, served him, and loved him all the way to the bones. <laughs> all the way to the bone. Now, there used to be a bumper sticker, and I probably, am, probably should not have mentioned this from the pulpit, but yeah, there used to be a bumper sticker we'd see all the time that said, Beauty's only skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> and I'll just leave that there. You know what it's saying, right? When something goes all the way to the bone. You know, mom used to tell me I was rotten to the core. She'd say that. I didn't understand what it meant necessarily at the time other than it was an insult. But, I mean, rot all the way through, you know. It was all the way to the inside, to the very within. You know, you take a bite of an apple and and it's mealy and it's gross. And you realize, oh, this is all the way through this apple. It's, It's foulness. 
uh, earlier or, or late last year, I believe it was, I gave a lesson called The Bones of Faith. I believe that's what it was called. That was the theme of it anyway. I'm not going to repeat that lesson this morning. But one of the points of the lessons of the bones of faith was the structure that we have in our bones, right? We have this structure. If you just remove this skeleton from me somehow, just, you know, had it transform, trans, whatever, trans, transmit from within my body, just removed it. I'd just be a blob of just wiggling, jiggling mass up here. It would be, it would be gross. You have this structure, right? For better or for worse, it holds us up in, in its, our structure. It's the core of us. All right? Uh, when you are rotten to the core or you rotten to the very bones, it means through and through. And Elisha feared the Lord to his bones. I believe that it was evident in his life and in his testimony. Elijah the same. Other ones throughout Scripture. Other ones that we know of even personally now. You look at them and you're like, this person, their testimony is one of someone who loves the Lord to their bones, to the very core, to the very center of them. Through and through, David spoke of being, uh, in Psalm 6 and verse 2, he wrote of being distraught, distraught to the core. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me for my bones. My bones are troubled. I brought this up in that lesson back in November, I believe it was. He goes on and he describes being weary with growing. He goes on to describe his his situation being so dire that he said, I believe that his terminology was, my bed is soaked with tears or sadness. And, And, well, I have some of it written down here. Making his bed swim with tears. He was weary with groaning. He was distraught all the way to the core. Have you ever been there? In certain situations, in certain troubles? I mean, whether it's financial, you have a relationship need, and it just it's all consuming, all occupying, all all in your mind and all concerning to you. And you're just everything else is shaded by what you're experiencing. Man, your bones are troubled all the way to the core. It impacts everything. Yeah, David recognized what that was. Uh, Job was one who was well, who was affected to his bones, so to speak. In Job chapter thirty and verse sixteen. He spoke of being pained to the bones, to the core, all the way to the center of him. In Job 30 and verse 16, he says, And now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night. You know that wasn't taking place. Actual. There wasn't actually someone saying, God, it's time for, roll over. It's time for your bone piercing. And they go, "That's that's not what's happening there. It's figurative. My bones are pierced in me. At night, and my gnawing pains take no rest, physically and mentally and emotionally. Job was distraught and pained and suffered all the way through and through to the bones. Saints, you know, Christ suffered, suffered to a measure greater still than even Job suffered. He, well, that spiritual weight that he bore on the cross, we talk about his pain and his injuries quite often. You can sit and Deal with his suffering and look how it manifested on the cross with his wounds and his injuries and all those things that capture the eyes and capture the imagination or beyond even our imagination of suffering. But, but farther still we know than the physical issues that he had were those spiritual burdens. The man, our Savior, the Son of God, suffered to his bones. I mean, full depth. Suffered all the way down. And I believe that that's... Well, when you talk about being at the core and the structure of things and our substance all the way at the very center, I believe that that's in part why 
Why, the Lord made sure that not one of his bones shall be broken. To demonstrate that all the way to the core he suffered and yet he still bore up. He held up. It was to his very center, his very structure, his very makeup. He was faithful and not willing to compromise where he could not. Now, make no mistake, our man Elisha here, his testimony is one of I mean, faithfulness and all those sorts of things. He's not Jesus. He's not the sinless one by any means. He was not the one who came to deliver all mankind from sin, but his testimony nevertheless was one of one who feared the Lord, served the Lord, and I believe loved the Lord all the way to his bones, all the way to his very center. We see that commitment during his life. We see that commitment even at the end of his life. And we even see a representation of that commitment after his life, once his life is gone. Uh, Change gears just for a moment and talk about, talk about the testimony we have at our death, at our end of this life. You know, people, even God's people, tend to look at death as the end, right? Now, I think that that's right and that's just certainly as you consider we have X amount of time on this earth. And we have X amount of time to recognize the Lord Jesus for who He is, to dedicate ourselves to the Lord Jesus, to learn who He is, learn who we are in Him, learn who He wants us to be in Him, learn what we can be with Him throughout all of eternity. So there is a measure of finality that comes with death, certainly. There's an end to our means of impacting our eternity at the end of this life. But it's not merely just a finality, you understand. Death isn't just simply an ending. If you get right down to our timeline of existence, our natural death happens in our eternal infancy. Does that make sense? It happens very, very early on when you get right down to it. My eternity with the Lord Jesus is secure because I believed in Him. Yours is too. Your eternity with Him, again, I can't wrap my mind around it either. But my 46 years, very, very small piece in line of etern- in light of eternity. I can live to 146. Very, very small piece. Our natural death happens very, very early. It's very much a beginning. But even in death, even in this moment that, that we struggle with and we push off, naturally speaking, our reflex is to abhor our natural death, that transition that takes place. It's, it's our natural reflex to put that off. Even in death, we can make an impact, a substantial one, bear a substantial testimony. And we can see that borne out in Scripture as well. I'm going to turn to uh, Ju- Judges 16 and consider that man, Samson, known for his strength, known for his mighty works, known for all of those things that he did while he walked around with his long hair, being a Nazarite, strong, capable, uh, battled, well, unspeakable odds against the Philistine warriors and that sort of thing. But his great work, at least one that you could measure naturally, the great work that he did took place at the end of his life. He was blinded, being mocked by these ones, his enemies, the Philistines, in their custody. And he was being mocked in, in, in the moment. They had gathered around and made sport of Samson, this one that had been a thorn to them, had been their bane for some time. They had this occasion, and they took this occasion to mock him and make sport of him. And so the Lord well, exercised his strength through Samson. Judges chapter 16 and verse 29 Samson took hold of 
the two middle pillars which supported the temple, wherein all the Philistines were sitting up, up top. And he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. And there's the key uh, sentence we're looking at here. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. That's quite a victory. Quite a victory on Samson's part. It was something visible, something tangible, something you could look at and say, wow, that was a huge score, I guess you could say. If it was just, if it's just to be measured based on attrition, it was a one for 3,000, right? One for 3,000. This, this was what we gave up on our side, Samson, and this is what, well, the score that he took from their battle. But you understand that it's just, well, it's a representation of the spiritual battle that was taking place, right? The spiritual victory that Samson scored in coming back to the Lord after having made his errors and, and that sort of thing, that's the illustration that we say. The testimony, that the, the spiritual victory that's taking place because we study Samson and, and the benefit that it was to return to the Lord, the benefit that it was to learn the lessons in, in, in the Lord and, and putting off certain things, that's the victory that Samson has. That's the testimony that is much greater than even those 3,000 he killed, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. He picked up a jawbone. Whack! Killed the 1,000 Killed a thousand Philistines by himself. Loved it when I was eight years old. I thought, that's amazing. I want to be that guy. If you would have put me in a position where I could kill number one person for the Lord, I wouldn't have done it because I was a fish. I mean, I'm going to have no interest in shedding blood. I'm getting queasy looking at Brother Gary's chin up here. Got this little blood on. Just joking. Not I'm not interested in killing anybody. I've said that a hundred times. I'm glad I don't have that position. And, and yeah, I appreciate what the Lord was able to do in that natural body. But it's looking at how the Lord carried him, was good to him, taught him, gave him opportunity to, to learn, took the opportunity to chastise him in a means and in a manner that caught Samson's attention. That's the victory that I see in Samson. That's the testimony that I see greater than well, then any of those ones that he killed was what the Lord is willing to do and able to do in one who is, well, who yields to him. There is great potential for a spiritual victory, well, as we approach our natural death, even in our weakest moment, our most painful moment, our most detestable moment. There's great opportunity, even in that moment of dying, that we can bear out for the Lord. Now I trust that you understand your death does not have to be a blaze of glory like Samson's was for it to be a testimony of faithfulness. And I trust that it won't be that. You've seen footage and heard of those kamikaze pilots in Pearl Harbor and the like where they had those little, I don't remember what the planes were called, maybe Spitfires or something along those lines, but little single engine prop jobs. No way they were going to make it back from their gunning raid that they made on Pearl Harbor, and they fully intended to take those planes down into their death, well, sus suspecting that they were doing honorable things, noble things. God doesn't ask for you to go out in a ball of fire in order to be a testimony for Him or to vaunt yourself up. You simply glorify the Lord. Sometimes it's as simple as... Well, it's difficult for people to understand what it is to welcome death. That's... 
It's not to invite it into my life and say, yeah, let's do this. I'm not, you know, I want my life. It's not to have a death wish to glorify God. It's to be satisfied with what His will is. And say, your will be done. When, how, I'll take it from your hand. And not to dig in our heels. Not to struggle, so to speak. To certainly do as He calls for us to do in our respective situations. But when the Lord says it's time and He's made it clear to us and He's opened up His arms to us, not to run from that embrace that He has for us. That is much greater than any blaze of glory. That is a much greater testimony than it is to sit there and take out 3,000 Philistines, I would imagine. Or at least has the capability of being. That being said, let's look at another example of one who didn't go out in a blaze of glory, so to speak. In Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 records the story of Cain and Abel. It's a sad story if you're not familiar with it. Cain and and Abel were, were brothers. Sons of Adam and Eve, of course. And how did Abel leave this life? Well, he was slain by his brother. It's an unfortunate thing, isn't it? In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4, whoops. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Abel was a shepherd, it seems. Cain was more of a produce guy, a farmer. And Cain said, I've grown this from the sweat of my own brow and from my own efforts, this should be sufficient for the Almighty God. And he determined that that was his will. uh, That, well, it should be the Lord's will when it wasn't. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat as the Lord had directed. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. There's his testimony. It goes on in verse 8 and it says, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now, it might seem that Abel was shortchanged in his life. Oh, that's unfortunate. He could have been somebody. He could have been something remarkable. He could have gone on and had an impressive life of faith and all of those things. He wasn't shortchanged. If you flip all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, to that location that we oftentimes referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith, you recognize how the Lord used him, don't you? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. The Lord keeps notes. He keeps track. He has a memory through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. That's pretty remarkable to me. God bearing witness, taking the stand, you might say. Bearing witness of who Abel was. And though and through it, though being dead, still speaks. Cain, Cain, or not Cain, Abel rather, through that testimony, through the Lord's witness in him, being dead still speaks. That means that he's still today. He's in the presence of the Lord right now, Abel is. Being dead, he still speaks on this ball, on this planet. On this earth that we stand in, I've preached from this passage a number of different times. I've heard it preached a number of different times. Abel's been dead for thousands and thousands of years. And yet being dead, still in the presence of the Lord, still not having any impact now on what's going on here, despite what so many want to say, uh, his time has passed. His life has passed. And yet he still speaks. Didn't slay a multitude. 
didn't shed blood of anything other than lambs, it seems. But his testimony continues even these thousand years, thousands of years beyond his death. Simply because he feared the Lord, and I believe that it bears out because of the testimony of the Lord. Well, that he loved him to his bones. That Abel took it to his very core. And he was willing just to simply obey the Lord. Uh, It's impactful, his testimony. Long past the time that he had any bearing, naturally speaking, on what his testimony could, could be. And it's ongoing still today as we read and consider him. And so it is we see that ongoing, long-lasting testimony borne out and given as example and illustrated in this situation in 2 Kings chapter 13 with Elisha. There in his tomb. Now, when Elisha died, it wasn't nearly as naturally impactful as Samson's. We don't see him going down in a blaze of glory. As a matter of fact, it seems he was probably old. I don't remember if it ever tells what his age was. But if you look there in, well, in verse 14, I'll just I'll bring that up there. 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 14, you see that regardless of his age, his situation, whatever, whatever the circumstances were, this man was battling spiritually all the way to the end. It says there in verse 14, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And again, so many look at this as as the bitter end. Oh, oh no. Now again, if the Lord says, I want you to receive treatment, I want you, no, this is, I want you to stick around. Paul stuck around. Paul stuck around because it was better for others. The Lord has uh, circumstances for each one. Elisha was sick with the illness which he would die. And Joash, King Joash or Jehoash, however it's rendered, he saw it as being, oh no, this is a bitter, this is a bitter thing. It's an awful thing. Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha got straight to business. That's what he did. Elisha got straight to business and he prophesied about the deliverance that the Lord wanted to do uh, for his people. And Joash, Joash didn't lay hold of the full deliverance. He was angry, Elisha was, chastised him. He gave him to strike some arrows. Again, I won't go into all this story. But Joash, it seems, kind of half-heartedly received what the Lord had, had for him. Take these arrows and strike the ground. Whack, whack, whack. And, and Elisha said, what's this whack, whack, whack? You should have wham, wham, over and over so that you would receive the fullness of the deliverance of the Lord. He was frustrated. And he got on to this man, even at the very end. Even at the very end, he, well, let's pick up there in verse 19. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times and you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And then guess what happened? Verse 20, then Elisha died. <laughs> you know, to the very end, it seems. I don't know if some time elapsed between this statement and when he actually breathed his last, but it was to the end, man. To the end, even in his death. He was sick and he was still looking out for Joash, still looking out for Israel, still speaking the word of God, not compromising, not saying, yes, yes, you should. I am, you know, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. I am in the place of Elijah and I need to be honored and, and support me in these last moments and carry on. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't make any kind of. No, he was chastising the king of Israel, speaking to him the word of God. 
uncompromising this man was. Remarkable this man was. Uh, Yeah, it is what it is. Even in death, even in death, he was scoring spiritually, even to his very last moment. Every bit as much spiritually, as surely as Samson was. Uh, The testimony, however, did not stop there. If we go back to our passage here in verse 20 of 2 Kings chapter 13, it didn't stop after his death. Elisha's done away with, okay, carry on. It says here, then Elisha died and they buried him. I like this story, so I'll read it again. The raiding bands from Moab invaded their land in the spring of the year, so it was as they were burying a man. Suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now I find this story very cool, just in its own circumstances and the the details of it. Very brief, very short, very miraculous, obviously. And I think that, well, this sort of thing can be misleading to those who don't look into it and, and consider what it means. Miracles take place. The Lord does some things. Oh, and you know what happens. A brass, oh, a bronze serpent that Moses was called to craft and hold up above the people of Israel because those snakes had gone through and those serpents had bitten and people were dying. And he said, hold up that brazen serpent so that any who might look on it would be healed. Look at the brazen serpent. And rather than pointing their focus towards the Lord, look what the Lord did through this situation and turning their lives to Him. What did they end up doing with that brazen serpent? They worshipped the serpent. They, they took it and, and they worshipped it. It was called Nahushtan. And they made it part of their worship. They worshipped the object rather than the one who used that object in that vessel. And so it is. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they said, Wow, this is remarkable. Look what Bud did when he woke up here. He, we put him on the bones of, of this man. Snatch up those bones and let's start handing these things out. That sounds gross and, and just kind of off, right? Mankind does that kind of garbage. So put that stuff away. Put that garbage away and look at it for what it is. The power is not in the bones, right? The power is not in the bones. Why did it take place here? Why was it that they're trying to have a funeral, trying to put him in this tomb? You know, oftentimes they did put them collectively into caves or into well, different hollowed out places. You'd have to put a number of different people in the same place. Uh, They couldn't just necessarily dig and bury and that sort of thing as we do today. And here they were trying to put this one away. They open up this tomb. Here come these ones who have been violent with them, stolen from them, harmed them, that sort of thing. And they have to hurry. It's an unfortunate thing. And so like, quick, let's get them in. And they didn't have time to make something well right, clear something out, be respectful and all those sorts of things. So... Oh, let's put him in with this guy and let's get out of here, perhaps. Then evidently, oh, (laughs) here I am. You know, what would that have been like? For goodness sake, what happened? We set him on this. Now it says, how does it describe it here? I'm just trying to get the details right here. Uh, So it was. um, The invaders, the raiding uh, bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. I suppose that could have been the same year that he died, in the spring of the year that Elisha died. I'm not sure, but let's just be honest here and let's just look at it for what it is. These were bones. He was decomposed. It was something rather gross, if you consider it. Probably smelled bad, like the death that we heard 
we heard of earlier. This was something that was rather vile when you get right down to it, not what they would have chosen to do. And still, when they put that body down on those bones, here the life came up. God's not a mere conjurer. We know this. He doesn't just do stuff because He wants to do tricks and He wants to impress people with stuff. Now, He does impress. And He wants to demonstrate oftentimes. But He doesn't just do cheap tricks. He doesn't look to to just garner our being impressed with Him just to say, yes, I am God. Look what I can do. That's not what He does. It's not what He's impressed with. He wasn't exalting Elisha over anybody else either. He's no respecter of persons. He didn't say this is Saint Elisha and we need to lift him up as so many people are willing to do in identifying and leaning into the person rather than the Son of God who enables that person, right? Rather than God who uses that vessel. God wasn't saying Elisha is better than everybody else. God, uh, Elisha, he is my ma- That's not what he was doing. We know that Elisha wasn't present there. It was bones. He wasn't present there to be blessed himself as he allowed himself to be the vessel of God. So why did the Lord do this? We know that the Lord loves his people and he bears testimony of them just as he does with Abel even to this day. He told Joshua as he entered into Canaan with the, with the children of Israel. The Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. It's Joshua 3 and verse 7. How come? Why did he exalt them in the name Well. Joshua 3, 7. Allie, do I have that one? I'll read it to you. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel because that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He was giving a testimony there with Joshua. I'm going to lift you up, Joshua, because number one, you're faithful. Number one, you're my chosen one because you're faithful. And I want to use you as an example that this is what I can do with a faithful person. And if you will by extension, be faithful and supportive of me and support this one, I can work in you as well. He was bearing witness in Joshua. God lifts up his faithful and uses them, sometimes in rather remarkable ways as examples, so that other ones might see and be blessed themselves. He doesn't always do it with just the living as he did with Joshua. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though which through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Abel still speaks being dead. What do you suppose happened when that man was laid down on those bones and he popped up alive? Put yourself in a situation. You're scared, you're nervous, put him down, bang, he's awake, he's alive because he was on these bones. What would you do? Well, as soon as you found yourself safe from the Moabite raiders, let's just be honest, they had to deal with that. Maybe they tucked down themselves and pulled this down and, you know, <laughs> hid. I'm not sure exactly what they did. But I would imagine, well, that they had options. They had options as to what they were going to do next. Number one, they could have just said, welcome back. Let's go. Let's, let's get out of here. You know, just a high five and just bail out on the situation. Take off and... and well, let's just kind of keep this between us kind of thing and never, never say another word about it. How likely do you think that was that that happened? I don't believe it was very likely. He once was dead. We all saw it. You all saw it, right? He was just dead, right? And he got on the bones, right? He was the bones, just the, this whole mass here. He popped up alive. Super strange. Let's talk about what happened. Whose bones were those? 
Maybe they knew already. I don't know the circumstances. But if they didn't know already, whose bones are these? Well, those are of that guy, Elisha. Who is he? And then you get down to the bottom of it, right? Who's Elisha? And then you hear, well, he's a man of faith. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. He saw Elijah go up. He bore witness that he went up in a, well, in a whirlwind. And he came back across the Jordan. He slapped the water. Slapped it with Elijah's mantle. And well, the word is that the water parted and he walked across on dry land. Word is that he threw salt or flour, whatever the case may be, into water, into soup. When it was poisonous and going to kill people. When it was bitter and he healed those things. He brought a kid up from the dead. He raised one up from... Elisha did a number... You ever heard of Elijah? Elisha had twice, twice the recorded miracles of that man, Elijah. Who was this Elisha that his very bones would raise up someone from the dead? When they found out, well, then they had the option, the opportunity of saying... What in the world? Who is it that empowered those bones to bring this work? And they would have heard his testimony. They would have listened. As we have of Samson, we have of Elisha, and Elijah, of course, and Hannah, and and all of these other ones who went to the grave naturally, and their testimony still speaks to this day. Saints, it's natural for people to want to matter, right? It's natural for that, us to want to leave a legacy behind. It's natural. It's, it's one of those things where, well, you know, in the old job, you know, it always made me sad when we get a call on, on I hate to say it, but like an older investigation or something along those lines. When you break into an apartment, we find that someone had passed away in there some time ago. It always made me sad when people hadn't noticed. People didn't know. And these people were sitting there by themselves and there were no next of kin, no family to contact. And you think, what a sad thing that they died by themselves. Always thrilled me, of course, when I'd see a Bible in those situations, particularly an open one. And it happened more times than, well, a number of different times that it thrilled my soul to walk away and see the destruction and the decomposition of the natural body. With all the evidence that the spiritual was with the Lord. Ah, man, it was, it was an uplifting thing. But there's a measure of natural, ah, just kind of wistfulness and kind of sadness when you realize someone died by themselves and that sort of thing. It's natural to want to matter. It's natural to want to leave a legacy. We want to be remembered. We want to have done something. We want to have made something lasting and make something memorable. And child of God, let me just tell you, you do matter. And you do have the capability of leaving something behind. Listen, when you're in the presence of Jesus, I don't know that you're going to be considering everything you left behind. But now, when you have this life, when you have this existence where you can make a difference, an impact, shouldn't we want to glorify the Lord in all that we do so that we might leave a legacy? You can leave a legacy, an impactful one, a meaningful one. One that remains long after you leave this world, even if you have no idea how that might happen, how that might take place. And if you want to leave such a legacy, we need to do as Elisha did, as Abel did, as these other ones did. And very simply, love the Lord Jesus to your bones. All the way to your bones. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, David said in Psalm 35. It shall rejoice in his salvation. 
All my bones shall say, shall testify, shall bear witness, shall cry out, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. My bones will cry that out and I will live that out as my bones take this body in the direction, in the manner, and in the means that the Lord calls me to. Moved by and moved for the glory and the exaltation of the Lord. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I'm going to close by just remembering something. Eh, I've seen the demonstration a number of times. I remember Brother Phil Wainwright actually had one of those old Coke bottles back, not Coke glasses. Remember when they were fluted out like this. And he had that Coke glass and he had a couple small ones. And he started filling that Coke glass with water. And he says, this is us. As the Lord pours in and pours in and pours in, he had a couple little smaller little Coke glasses and they fit right up there next to it. And as that overflowed, it flowed out into those little ones, of course, and helped to fill those ones as well. It benefits others and not just us when we allow the Lord to fill us and fill us and fill us to overflowing. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul and perhaps through me, by some measure, I might help to quench another one's or allow the Lord to quench the thirsting of another one's soul with that testimony of faithfulness. You don't know, but that someone in the near distant future after you've left this place, that they come across your name in some genealogy on 24 Highway, or they come across, weird enough, your bones somehow. (laughs) Here, Here lay the bones of... Of Greg Gravitt, I'm not going to say that my bones are going to bring anyone to life. But whatever those bones might be, here is a memory, somehow a memory, a piece, a a fraction, just a smidgen of some record of my existence, of your existence, of whomever's existence is present present here. And somehow someone comes across that. And the Lord can take that little smidgen of existence and prompt someone by whatever miracle or by whatever, just a simple suggestion. Who was this one? Who was this one? And they somehow, through technology, or simply through the leading of the Spirit, find a testimony that is there. You never know what the Lord might do through you. You have no idea what the Lord can do through you. He could have someone laid on your bones and that one jump up and then say, who was this one whose bones brought this body up and then they just simply need to find that you loved the Lord all the way to your bones you served the Lord all the way to your bones and then like Abel though dead you might still speak saints your testimony matters who you are in this life matters that's a blessing it's a blessing that you matter and can impact people today and perhaps even in the distant future By simply loving and serving and fearing the Lord to your very bones, may we live a life that even when dead, we still speak to the glory of God.